This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. And it's crazy to think that we're already at episode four. Again, this is the perfect month to kind of debut things. Two major pay-per-views going down. Big news coming out of the land of the rising sun with New Japan returning to business as usual, at least somewhat. And then we have the greatest wrestling match ever going on this weekend. It is a great time to be a wrestling fan. And more importantly, a lot of big news coming out of Impact Wrestling, AEW, NXT last night. Fantastic shows. That being said, let's get it going with a look at what happened on Monday Night Raw. You know damn well that the reason you're inviting me is only because I'm not medically cleared. But I will be cleared soon. And when I am, not just you, but the whole world will know about it. Te haré la vida un infierno, Ray. cabrón. The expectations on this match are astronomical. What are you going to do? What are you going to do when you don't live up to those expectations? Huh? This Sunday, at Backlash, in the greatest wrestling match ever, the redemption of Edge is over. And I can understand why you're always hiding behind Lashley. Oh, 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 no, 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 no. You can stop right there, because I don't hide behind anybody. This is all part of my business plan to help Lashley reach his potential, which will culminate this Sunday at Backlash, when he puts that full Nelson on you and ragdolls your ass again like he did last week. That's not happening! This Sunday at Backlash, like you said before, mate, you've waited for this opportunity for a long time, but the only way you will take the WWE Championship from me is to pry it from my cold, dead hand. Oh, and a Glasgow kiss down goes MVP! And Oscar, what, wait a minute, what's no, this? No, no. Oscar's Backlash <laughs> opponent! Nia Jax and Oscar immediately going after Jax. Nia Jax trying to get involved like last week. There it is, Jax. Oscar, oh my God! A huge boot. Charlotte Flair has pinned the Raw Women's Champion. Whether I'm at NXT, whether I'm here tonight at Raw, SmackDown, it doesn't matter where I am. I am always on top. I am always the hardest worker in the room. I am always the main event because I'm Charlotte Flair. Woo. I enjoyed plenty of what I saw, but there's just one thing I want to get into here in this segment because there was just something that irked me. And I'm tired of one thing in particular in terms of how WWE has been doing things over the last couple weeks, probably a couple months. It's the overexposure of one Charlotte Flair. I counted the amount of segments because I DVR the show, so I'm able to kind of keep track of things a little bit differently than most. I was able to see the end of Raw, and then I saw how the overall show went. And I counted. Seven of the segments on a three-hour program had Flair involved in some form or fashion. Let's look at it. Opening segment, then the triple threat tag. That was two commercial breaks, so three segments. A quick interview later on in the program. And then you gave her three more segments for the main event. First of all, she was double booked in a match. That's seven segments total, and you had four commercial breaks dedicated 
five counting what happened after the opening segment. There is so much going on. I just cannot stand the fact that we're sitting here saying, hey, you know, we're going to put Charlotte Flair front and center into the conversation. And when I was just going through my notes, I noticed there was so much writing about Charlotte, Charlotte, Charlotte. Honestly, you shouldn't have that much to kind of do with Charlotte Flair. She's not involved in the main feud on Raw in the women's division. She's not involved in a title match with Asuka, at least right now. Right now, she's dealing with Nia Jax, and Nia Jax got involved in the finish of the main event, but there was no necessary, there was nothing necessary about the fact that Asuka and Charlotte, they're trying to build that again. We know what happens when Asuka and Charlotte face off. Charlotte wins. Charlotte beat her at WrestleMania 34, has beat her time and again to the point where Asuka can never, has never caught Charlotte Flair. And when you think about the fact, like, it makes you wonder why we continue to get this. Charlotte Flair, multiple-time NXT Women's Champion, multiple-time Raw and SmackDown Women's Champion. She's won the title several times over. She's getting closer and closer to Ric Flair's 16 world titles. I don't like the fact that we're seeing Charlotte Flair be propped up as the undisputed like king or queen, if you will, in terms of women's wrestling in the WWE. When you've got people like Asuka and you've got some great talent like Dana Brooke, like Bianca Belair, who we haven't seen in a hot minute, why have we not seen these kind of superstars make their run and get that rub and try and compete for the WWE Raw or SmackDown Women's Championship? Why haven't we seen these guys do this? But it feels like the women's division, despite the fact they put that over so much in their programming, they don't know how to truly program for it, if you will. And I'm just sitting here wondering why we are continuing and we just continue to kind of bop our heads up against the wall and we see Charlotte Flair continue to be treated like she is the absolute best thing in professional wrestling. Whenever that's clearly not the case. I feel like people are tuning out because of the fact that they're getting the Charlotte Flair burnout. It's a lot like what we've seen with Roman Reigns in the past several years. And again, Charlotte Flair has appeared on since May the 12th. I wound up looking at Cage Match. She's had, she's been on every single brand since May 12th. That is way too much Charlotte Flair. It's overexposure, and now we're sitting here kind of getting frustrated with the fact that she is considered the top dog. Whenever you've clearly got a great champion, you're just not, like, they haven't tried to truly put over Asuka. Some of the mysticism was lost from her because of the fact that she lost at WrestleMania 34 with really no kind of hype to it. It felt a lot like Undertaker's streak coming to an end. It would have been great to see her win, but it just did not necessarily kind of step its game up. It didn't do what I think many of us expected it to do, and it was just underwhelming. Overall, I enjoyed a lot of the other show, and I'll get to some other thoughts on it. I'll say this. I love the fact that they're pushing Apollo Crews a lot more. I love the idea of having Apollo Crews be the United States champion, and maybe just maybe we get more of a story surrounding him in the future. And if we can get him to be pushed a little bit more than he has in the past, because I remember seeing him back in the day when I watched Dragon Gate USA. I was watching that in, in the early stages of Evolve, and then we see Apollo Crews go from Uwa Nation to Apollo, and overnight he becomes a really cool indie darling, but not necessarily pushed to the levels of, say, a Shinsuke Nakamura, a Bobby Roode, an AJ Styles, obviously, but we don't see him get to quite to that level. He started to build some momentum. We got called up to Raw, but then the Jericho match happened and really didn't necessarily, wasn't able to 
rebound from that. And now, years later, this is four years after his debut on the main roster, he's starting to build momentum. He has a title. He beat Andrade a couple weeks ago, and he's becoming that fighting champion. I love the idea of having a fighting champion and having him be built up as a bigger star. They've changed his theme music. I love the fact that they did that. It was well past time to kind of change just a little bit about him and change like the entire story about him and make sure you kind of slap a fresh coat of paint on him. And I guarantee you, you have a top draw in Apollo Crews who can wind up probably being a one-time, maybe two-time champ because he has that that look. He has that look, that build, and he's got that like ability to just do really athletic things. I mean, if you've seen the ooh combination, which you saw him when he beat Andrade, he did it, and that alone like really blew my mind. They actually let him do that in 2020. I was more than happy about it. I'm surprised they didn't let him do it sooner. But I'm still not a fan of his powerbomb finisher. It's a little underwhelming. But overall, Monday Night Raw, okay. I thought really great storyline, really great build for something down the road. Now, what's going to happen with him this Sunday at Backlash against Andrade? I would sure as hell hope he wins the title. Because if you take the belt off of him, it feels like you hot-shotted it for no real reason. There was no real game to it. It was just to do it for the sake of doing it. It's not like when you do it sometimes where, for instance, a few years ago, Kalisto, he won the U.S. title on Raw in New Orleans in 2016. This is on the road to WrestleMania. To He won it from Del Rio, then lost it the next night when it was taped on Tuesdays. He lost it to Del Rio the very next night at the Cajun Dome, and I was there for that. Really cool show. But also the fact you have Del Rio win it, lose it, but win it back the next night, that is is what it is. It's a little hot potato, but eventually Kaliso finally got it. his win back from that and was able to have a pretty lengthy reign with the U.S. title. And then good lucha things happened. We all know that did not end well for him. And then eventually they put him in with him, uh, Sin Cara or Sin Cara 2.0, and we all know how Kalisto's career has kind of gone since, and I wish he was able to kind of continue to be at that level. That being said, let's just kind of say right here, right now, I think Monday Night Raw was just okay. And I like, one thing I did like, though, was the angle with Christian and Edge. I think the Christian and Edge angle was perfect because it made you wonder like how much doubt Edge has heading into this greatest wrestling match ever. Are the expectations going to crush him? Are these expectations going to damage his reputation and make him wonder if he still really has it, if he's the icon that can still go? It's the old saying in the business, you're only as good as your last match. And at the end of the day, was this match that he had, the last man standing, the last match he had, really his best? Can he do this on a bigger level when he's facing off against a hell of a veteran in Randy Orton? That's going to be the big question we all have in about four days before the Backlash pay-per-view on the WWE Network. I'm absolutely liking how the the road to Backlash has been for a lot of the Raw Superstars. SmackDown, I have largely just not cared as much as I would like to. Because trust me, I think there's a lot of really good positives with SmackDown right now. But they kind of screwed the pooch with Braun Strowman again. And putting a world title on the line in a handicap match is such a tired trope. I'm getting annoyed at it. But I think that we see... Some other things happen down the road. Maybe we see the SmackDown brand kind of be a little more tight with it. And hopefully we see Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt more the fiend down the road because I feel like that's the next step in the storyline because it feels like you know they put they put a pause 
on Bray Wyatt versus Braun. I think Braun versus The Fiend is the next step, and we see that probably at the next pay-per-view and maybe even at SummerSlam. And That's going to be the real question we all have is what's going to happen with those two when they do square off. Again, Raw, really just okay. I feel like Christian's segment, too much Charlotte, Apollo Crews, big positive. Outside of that, though, really didn't have a whole lot of really juice to it. The Rey Mysterio, Seth Rollins thing, that's continuing. And hopefully the next few weeks we'll see Rey back in the ring and maybe we'll see Dominic in as well. There's a lot of different twists and turns this thing is continuing to take. But hopefully we see the resolution for this sooner rather than later because I'm getting tired of kind of just waiting for things to happen. I want to see actual action in the ring between these two. CD's going to test his expertise and predictions against someone who's running in and invading the podcast zone. You know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. It's a pay-per-view weekend without a doubt. we got to get over to the hotline to get this run-in going. And right now we've got the host of the Heel Turn podcast out of Texas, Kyle King. Kyle, what is going on, man? First of all, I am your reigning, defending, undisputed AEW and WWE predictions champion of the Heel Turn Podcast. And yes, I am doing great. Thank you for having me, Clint. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. You know, we're getting ready for what's being built. And I want to start off there. The fact that we're seeing the graphics for Backlash this Sunday on the WWE Network, the fact we keep seeing the greatest wrestling match ever, not just on the main, on the what's billed as the main event, I guess, Edge versus Randy Orton, but on every other match in the card, does that dilute the, the point of the greatest wrestling match ever? Well, you're also talking about a company that has also been calling things like the greatest Royal Rumble <laughs> ever. They have to do something to put butts in seats, even though they can't put physical butts in seats anymore. WWE is grasping at things. But you know what? Look, it's Edge and it's Orton. It could be the greatest wrestling match ever. I don't I, I don't know. I mean, didn't we kind of have that with Daniel Bryan and Drew Gulak not too long ago on SmackDown? But we'll see, man. They got to do something to get people excited because look at the card. Look at the card. Who are you excited about besides those two? Exactly. It's just hyped up so much. But that brings up another question. The fact they've been talking about the greatest wrestling match ever. I saw this theory kind of seep its way through on the interwebs. Was the plan for the greatest wrestling match ever supposed to be a show in in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, and they're basically kind of having to punt it and just use this tactic for this greatest wrestling match ever, Orton versus Edge? So I, if you've listened to the Heel Turn podcast, yeah. which I, I hope everybody does, I don't pay attention to the Saudi matches. Those are kind of like, if you're a comic book fan, they're kind of like one-offs to me. They're not you know canon. I mean? like. Correct. They're non-canon. Things don't like things kind of happen, and if they're noteworthy, then it's like, yeah, sure, let's go with that. But then you get like Goldberg versus Taker, and everybody's like, that never happened. We don't, we don't, we don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. That's kind of I like the way you put that, but it's just it it makes you wonder if the greatest wrestling match ever gimmick was supposed to be used for the Saudi Arabia show, which I'm sure. Maybe just maybe the fact that what you just brought up is the fact that you don't necessarily count it. It's non-canon. Makes you kind of wonder what's really causing all this. 
But let's start off looking at the WWE Championship match, Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley, a match that I think I have to agree with you. It's a little underwhelming, but I think it definitely still has some intrigue just because this could be a couple-month feud. Which way are you leaning here? You know, I saw an interesting thing, as you so put it earlier, on them interwebs, uh, where people were kind of talking about, like, hey, you know what? Maybe this would be a chance to put the title on Bobby Lashley and then put it on Brock Lesnar maybe at a SummerSlam. But that just doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to build Drew McIntyre up as this beast slayer. Sorry, Seth Rollins. I, I apologize. But... It, it makes no sense to take the title off of Drew right now. So I'm going with Drew McIntyre. He's going to retain. But I will also say this. I would love to see Bobby Lashley win a WWE championship. And I'd love to see that as well. I think you could do this a little bit further down the line, but it's only a couple months into the reign of Claymore Country running wild over the WWE. So to me, I think he gets the win here. But I'll add the caveat. I think it's a disqualification win because I think this goes in to the next pay-per-view because Drew needs to have a true kind of feud because you notice Seth Rollins had his match with Drew McIntyre and then he moved on to Rey Mysterio like the next night. You need to have a consistent like feud for him for a couple months to where you can actually start building him up as a little bit more of a credible champion. And if Bobby Lashley takes the belt off of him at SummerSlam, I'd be all for that. You know, I used to be I used to be very much into the whole like let's have this long kind of drawn out feud. Let's make this thing go like three four months. But honestly, man, with the way the product is right now, and I and and I have tried very hard on my show not to be critical of wrestling right now, just because we're an un as as every TV commercial likes to say these days, we're in unprecedented times. So. I've kind of gotten away from that. I don't need long, built-out feuds with these guys. And and as much as you know, we might want to talk trash about WWE and what they're doing. They have so much talent on that roster that there is just a litany of guys. I would love to see Drew McIntyre have feuds with. Talk right now with Kyle King, host of the Heel Turn Podcast, and let's look over to a match that I'm just honestly not looking forward to, and we bring up long-term feuds. I think we should just fast-forward through the universal title match, Braun Strowman the, against The Miz and John Morrison in a handicap match. To me, this is a Braun Strowman wins. Bray Wyatt, The Fiend, however you want to put it, pops back into the title picture just because of the fact that I think it's a hell of a lot more entertaining than Miz and Morrison going for the WWE title in a handicap match in 2020 just does not work for me. So I'm, I'm going to go with you as well. Braun Strowman is going to get the victory over Miz and Morrison. However, again, I would love to see the Miz on top once again. I think this guy has been criminally overrated because of, you know, just attitude. I'm sorry, not attitude, but PG era shenanigans that weren't really his fault. I think he is fantastic, but I don't think he wins here. But my unpopular opinion, I don't need the fiend to be champion. I don't even need him to be in the title hunt because as you saw back in those non-canon Saudi shows, what happens? You paint yourself into a corner when you have such a dominant guy like the fiend. The fiend is almost like the under, like, let me ask you this, Clint, what is the last memorable undertaker championship run? Can you remember one? I mean, he had some good ones. Nothing great. I mean, I'd probably say to a certain extent, 
those like mid two thousand runs, I would probably say oh seven or oh eight. Those were pretty darn memorable. You saw him kind of go up against some of the best in the business, and you had really fun storylines. I think the Undertaker, especially oh eight, when he brought in the Hell's Gate and had that feud with Edge, that had a lot of intrigue, and I feel like that maybe may have been his last great title run. Now take that title run away. Would it damage the Undertaker's legacy? No, not entirely. But then again, at that point, wasn't the Undertaker's legacy established? I, but again, off of how many title wins? But Taker was one of those characters, one of those guys, one of those performers, whatever analogy you want to use, where Taker never needed the strap in order to be credible or to seem like a badass. He was just the Undertaker, and he was awesome. And that's kind of how The Fiend is for me. He's just awesome. He's fun. He's a cool character. He's intriguing. He, one of the things we say on the show is, did it make me want to watch next week? And every time The Fiend is on, I want to see what happens next week. So I don't need him in the title picture. I kind of I hope he never really re-enters it, if I'm being honest. And I can understand where you're coming from with that. And let's flip it on over to a feud that I'm just – I'm getting sick. And, I, I mentioned it last week on the pod. I am sick and tired of Nia Jax existing at this point in, in WWE. <laughs> and it's just like, like last week alone, she had the moment, moment injuring Kyrie Sane. She had the moment when she had the very like racist overtone of Japanese stereotypes and her wearing the geisha mask. I was like, I, I was so infuriated. I just immediately was like, when I was like on my DVR, because I watched it live. And then when I got to the DVR after the segment before that, I just immediately turned it off, moved on. I'm like, I already have my notes about how much I hate Nia Jax. Asuka Nia Jax, Raw Women's title match. I think Asuka retains and maybe, please, just put uh, put Nia Jax in the Performance Center as a, tra- as a person that can learn how to wrestle a competent match that lasts more than two or three minutes because she is literally the Goldberg of the women's division. <laughs> that is a great analogy. I've not heard that one yet. However, I will be using it from here on out because, yeah. Just like, make sure the check uh, check is in the mail. Absolutely. I'll, I'll have my people get in touch with your people where to send it. <laughs> yeah, like as long as The Rock has pull in that company, Nia Jax isn't going anywhere. It, it, if this were up to me, <laughs> she would lose, but she will lose to Asuka. She's going to lose unless they try to do some cockamamie Hey, let's put the title on Nia only so Charlotte can win that and then win. Don't get me started on Charlotte. Oh, don't you tell me you're one of those. Don't you tell me. Clint. I'm just really like all right, so I'm not I'm not one of the people that's out there signing the petition petition to make sure Charlotte Flair never gets a title shot again. I just would like for her to like have some time where she's not in that main title picture every single day. And here's the thing. I, I, I've liked Charlotte Flair, but think about this past Raw. I actually ran through segment by segment when I was going back through the DVR. Seven segments out of that three-hour program had Flair involved. The opening segment, triple th- tag was, was two commercial breaks, a quick interview. Then the main event was two commercial breaks as well. So I can sit here right here right now and say, we're getting that Charlotte Flair burnout to where she has to be the center of attention. And I think at the end of the day, you don't need to have her be that absolute center of attention and you can revolve things around other people to build other talents up. It's feeling a lot like the women's version of Triple H in the early 2000s. Except she's a flair. I would expect 
nothing less than dominance from somebody who shares that lineage. I love Charlotte Flair. I think she is, without a doubt, the best women's wrestler there is today. And yes, I know there's Tessa Blanchard. Yes, I know there's Britt Baker. And I know there's Bailey and all these other people, but no, Charlotte comes from greatness, and she should absolutely play with that. She should always be around the title because she is just that damn good. So I'm saying Asuka is going to win, and we are eventually going to get another Asuka and Charlotte match, which everyone should be happy with because those two have awesome chemistry. They have awesome chemistry, but I think that what I would love to see the most is Asuka finally beating Charlotte because that's the one thing Charlotte that Asuka's never been able to do, beat Charlotte one-on-one. And I think that's what they're probably building to because I think it's time to let Asuka finally get that win over her because if she's not able to do that, then what's the point of seeing Asuka continually bopping her head up against that ceiling? It's a lot like if we're going to flip it to college football. It's like how LSU for years just kept getting bopped on the head from a team like Alabama every year. You knew that that was eight years straight and you lost. Asuka finally wins and finally beats Charlotte Flair. Then you have that moment where, hey, Asuka officially finally beat her, and now she can move on and finally say that she finally caught the queen. Well, maybe if she hires Ed Ogeron, <laughs> then, you know, maybe, she, maybe she does that. And you know what? I'd be all for that because Ed Ogeron is, a, is an awesome, awesome person. Go Tigers. Yeah. Thank you. Kyle King, host of the Heel Turn Podcast. Let's look over at the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship match. It is Bailey, Sasha Banks, Alexa Bliss, and Nikki Cross against the Iconics. And I, here's how I kind of have a fantasy booked in my mind, and I think they are kind of working this way, is Bailey and Banks retain by pinning Nikki Cross in this triple threat tag, and the cracks start to show in the relationship between Bliss and Cross to where eventually we see a, a feud between them at SummerSlam. So I like that idea. However... I also want to fantasy book this because, well, you'll see. I, look, I, I think it would be great if the Iconics won. I love that tag team. I think Peyton Royce and Billy Kay are amazing. Yes. I follow Peyton Royce on pretty much everything because she is amazing. She is awesome. I would love to see them be the two-time WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. I would be amazing. Oh, I would love to see that. And then... I think if they were to get that victory, it would piss off Bailey losing to them again. Sasha would also get mad, you know, and they can kind of play that whole like, wow, this is the second time. It's always because of you. Then you can also have the cracks with Alexa and with Nikki. I know the only problem with that is you're getting rid of two women's tag teams, but let's be real, WWE don't care about tag team wrestling. Vince hates it. I mean, why else would you let the revival just walk? Yeah, exactly. You know, you let the, the revival just walk away right before you fire about like twenty percent of your staff, and then you then you ask a guy who you fired to use your pool for an angle. Oh boy, there's a lot of things going on right there. But looking over at one of the other matches on the card, Sheamus versus Jeff Hardy, which has a little bit of juice to it. I'm not gonna lie, this one at least seems somewhat like has like a little bit of long term juice to it. So I'm looking forward to it. But I think Sheamus wins in this one. Go with Jeff Hardy. They've been using his DUI. There's got to be a payoff to that. That's that I was mean, one thing I didn't like at all. Yeah, it was a little. It, it hit the. It, it missed the mark for me. 
WWE eventually will be able to get one of these angles over. They God knows that they have tried. Anybody who remembers Hawk and Animal with the Legion of Doom back yep. in the day? You know what? Seamus, Jeff Hardy, I'm going to go with Jeff. I think Jeff is going to get this victory. Let's look on over at the United States Championship match. And I, I'm absolutely loving the fact Apollo Crews, the former Yuha Nation, because I remember seeing him back in the day in Dragon Gate USA and absolutely loving the stuff that he did. I was so excited when he joined WWE. And then, of course, WWE did what WWE does and kind of had him floundering. Now he's the U.S. champ, Apollo Crews, taking on Andrade. I think Apollo Crews retains here because I, I just wouldn't see the point and then hot shot in the title for two weeks for Apollo Crews to just give right back to Andrade like three weeks later. Yeah, you know what? I, look, I'm I'm going to steal uh, AJ Lee's thing from back in the day, and I'm going to start the hashtag. Hashtag give Apollo a chance. Okay, don't take, don't ruin this man's momentum. I want to see what he has in store before he becomes all elite. All right, so let him have a good showing. Let him have a decent run. The guy has been there. He's I felt so bad that he got brought up in that time where NXT was just like, yeah, yeah, we'll just bring everybody up. Oh, you popular? Come on. Come on over. So I want to see him do good. I think he will do good. And I'm with you. I'm going to go with Apollo Crews on this. All right, now we get to the main event. Everybody's calling it the greatest wrestling match ever because that's what the tagline is for Backlash 2020. Edge versus Randy Orton. And i got to give Randy Orton the win here in the straight-up wrestling match. We know he loves to do those rest holds, I'm sure. Oh, All right, first of all, before we, before we give our true picks, over-under 10 rest holds in this match. Oh, over-under is that 10? Yeah. And the main event? Yeah, I'm going to go with give, You know what? Give me the over. Give me the over. I'll go slightly under because I was, again, reading some stuff in the deep, seedy world of the interwebs. And I think I saw it was going to be about a, like a twenty to thirty minute match. So I think I think I'd take the under on that, but it's not far off. Yeah, there, look, there's going to be a lot of wrestling going on. I mean, Randy and Edge both kind of up there. I know Edge is still kind of getting back into the swing of things, even though he's in the best shape of his life. But yeah, it's going to be over ten. I mean, however, it will still not be nearly as many B triggers as you would see in a Kenny Omega match. Yeah, good point. Good point. And for me, I got Randy Orton winning, and then we see Meltzer later on the, in the week rated three and a half stars because it's not in the Tokyo Dome. Correct, correct. You, uh, you, you don't you don't get anything higher than a four if you're not in that Tokyo Dome. But uh, you know what? I'm I'm with you. Uh, I know Edge got the victory at Mania. I think this is yet another step in their feud. Again, I know earlier in this I said I don't need guys to go three, four months down the line. But damn it, do I enjoy Edge and Orton. I want Orton to win. I think Orton will win. So they have a blow-off match at SummerSlam. Kyle, you know, we got a minute left. Why not pump up whatever you got going on with the Heel Turn podcast? I know you do a lot of Twitch streaming as well. So why not let the people know what's going on with them? Uh, Cal King, the host of the Heel Turn podcast. Yes, sir. Quinn, thank you so much. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, you guys can find me. On social media, you can find my personal account at Kyle King on air. That's for TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can also find my Twitch stream where we do the show, the Heel Turn Podcast, uh, which we normally do every single Friday live on Twitch, Facebook, and Periscope. The Twitch account is Twitch. 
twitch.tv slash the Kyle King show. You can also watch me play a lot of Madden and get frustrated and try not to cuss on there. <laughs> so that way I don't have to keep depositing dollars into the swear jar for my daughter. How's the swear jar been at this point? Like, where's it at? Right now, uh, so we, we started over every week. So it goes uh, Sunday through Saturday, and I have $20, and they're all in ones. And every time I cuss, it goes in the jar, which goes into my daughter's piggy bank, and we've been doing it for three weeks. And right now we are at a whopping total of $13. Oh, wow. That, not bad, not bad. But, but, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road because there's plenty of pay-per-views to talk about and pick and predict. And since you're the undisputed champion, how can we not have you on to really talk about all that? I mean, look, I just improve things every time I come through. It's just part of my greatness, part of my amazingness. I also am currently doing this interview while holding an, a replica championship title while my wife watches me <laughs> and just looks on disapprovingly. So there's that. Yeah, I can about imagine that's, that's amazing stuff right there. Kyle, thanks again, man. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And I look forward to look forward to being on more. Thanks again to Kyle King for joining the program, talking a little bit about the greatest wrestling match ever and the entire backlash card. You can follow him on Twitter, like you mentioned earlier, Kyle King on air. Absolutely love having him on. Going to definitely try and get him on a little bit further down the road. But another big thing that happened this week was, without a doubt, what's going on with Impact Wrestling because they finally made a little bit of a statement concerning what's going on with the Impact World Championship currently held by Tessa Blanchard. She hadn't been showing up for quite a bit, so the rumor and innuendo were that you know there was going to be Tessa Blanchard being stripped of the title, but lo and behold, now we've got a five-way match booked as kind of your main event of Slammiversary. Don't know if it's going to be right here, right now, a main, in terms of a King of the Mountain match or Queen of the Mountain, I guess, because you've got Tessa Blanchard in there as well. What's going to happen there? There's a lot of different questions. I think this is going to be the biggest storyline is basically the fact it was a five-person match. It's going to be Trey Miguel, Eddie Edwards returning after a little bit of a gap. I was surprised at that. Michael Elgin, who won a triple threat match earlier in the night with a big highlight being Ken Shamrock, 52, and the guy can still go. He wound up having a really cool dive. Just the fact he was able to kind of be at a certain level, it was outstanding. So right here, right now, I think this one's going to be a lot of fun. And, of course, Ace Austin involved in this as well, one of the like top guys in TNA or excuse me, Impact Wrestling. He was great in MLW. I remember seeing him early on and noticing he had just so much potential and his entrance was really cool and he was edgy. And now they've turned him into a whole different character. So I'm enjoying what I've been seeing with Ace Austin as of late. Now he's going to be part of this five-person match, this five-way alongside, again, the current reigning champion, Tessa Blanchard. Just a whole lot of fun with that one. Other highlights that I kind of noticed, you had him, uh, Jordan Grace, defend her knockouts championship and retain it over Taya Valkyrie, a really just entertaining match and a really great kind of finish. And then also you saw the big angle with Deanna Perrazzo, former WWE superstar, make her debut in Impact Wrestling. And looks like she almost she broke Jordan Grace's arm. Thick Mama Pump looked like she was injured after the match. So this kind of makes 
you wonder, this could be the big angle. Deanna Perrazzo, Jordan Grace for that women's title. I think that'd be a lot of fun. And maybe we see Jordan Grace go after Tessa Blanchard after that. There's a lot of different questions concerning it. But hopefully in the next month or so, we learn a lot more about Impact Wrestling and the way things are right here right now. Because I think they're building towards something really cool. And if you haven't checked it out yet, make sure you go do so. The Impact Wrestling Twitch channel is usually where I go to kind of catch the newest episodes. I usually try and remember, oh, hey, on Tuesday nights at 7, I was conveniently watching a little bit of I was in and out because I was taking care of a bunch of other things. But I was able to see the big angles and see the big takeaways. Overall, really fun kind of opening of the road to Slammiversary because now the road is officially kind of starting to be paved and you're about a month out, and now you can start building up these storylines and building up these rivalries. And that's the real fun part when it comes to how TNA slash Impact Wrestling slash, you know, more Impact Wrestling. Keep wanting to say TNA. It is what it is. Thanks again to Kyle King for joining the program, talking a little bit about the greatest wrestling match ever and the entire Backlash card. You can follow him on Twitter. Like he mentioned earlier, Kyle King on air. Absolutely love having him on. Going to definitely try and get him on a little bit further down the road. But another big thing that happened this week was without a doubt what's going on with Impact Wrestling because they finally made a little bit of a statement concerning what's going on with the Impact World Championship currently held by Tessa Blanchard. She hadn't been showing up for quite a bit, so the rumor and innuendo were that you know there was going to be Tessa Blanchard being stripped of the title, but lo and behold, now we've got a five-way match booked as kind of your main event of Slammiversary. Don't know if it's going to be right here, right now, a main, in terms of a King of the Mountain match or Queen of the Mountain, I guess, because you've got Tessa Blanchard in there as well. What's going to happen there? There's a lot of different questions. I think this is going to be the biggest storyline is basically the fact it was a five-person match. It's going to be Trey Miguel, Eddie Edwards returning after a little bit of a gap. I was surprised at that. Michael Elgin, who won a triple threat match earlier in the night with a big highlight being Ken Shamrock, 52, and the guy can still go. He wound up having a really cool dive. Just the fact he was able to kind of be at a certain level, it was outstanding. So right here, right now, I think this one's going to be a lot of fun. And, of course, Ace Austin involved in this as well. One of the like top guys in TNA, or excuse me, Impact Wrestling. He was great in MLW. I remember seeing him early on and noticing he had just so much potential and his entrance was really cool and he was edgy. And now they've turned him into a whole different character. So I'm enjoying what I've been seeing with Ace Austin as of late. Now he's going to be part of this five-person match, this five-way alongside, again, the current reigning champion, Tessa Blanchard. Just a whole lot of fun with that one. Other highlights that I kind of noticed, you had him, uh, Jordan Grace defend her knockouts championship and retain it over Taya Valkyrie, a really just entertaining match and a really great kind of finish. And then also you saw the big angle with Deanna Perrazzo, former WWE superstar, make her debut in Impact Wrestling, and looks like she almost she broke Jordan Grace's arm, Thick Mama Pump, looked like she was injured after the match. So this kind of makes you wonder, this could be the big angle. Deanna Perrazzo, Jordan Grace for that women's title. I think that'd be a lot of fun. And maybe we see Jordan Grace go after Tessa Blanchard after that. There's a lot of different questions concerning it. But hopefully in the next month or so, we learn a lot more about Impact Wrestling 
and the way things are right here right now because I think they're building towards something really cool. And if you haven't checked it out yet, make sure you go do so. The Impact Wrestling Twitch channel is usually where I go to kind of catch the newest episodes. I usually try and remember, oh, hey, on Tuesday nights at 7, I was conveniently watching a little bit of I was in and out because I was taking care of a bunch of other things. But I was able to see the big angles and see the big takeaways. Overall, really fun kind of opening of the road to Slammiversary because now the road is officially kind of starting to be paved and you're about a month out and now you can start building up these storylines and building up these rivalries and that's the real fun part when it comes to how TNA slash Impact Wrestling slash, you know, more Impact Wrestling keep wanting to say TNA it is what it is to the back for the latest interview on the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. And welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. And with me at this time, my guest is the founder of the Social Suplex Podcast Network and the host of the Keeping It Strong Style Podcast. And of course, it's almost a little bit of a crossover, Cajun Strong Style and Keeping It Strong Style. We're going to talk a little bit about New Japan, the number of announcements they made on Monday night concerning their return to business. And they're coming out the gate strong. And again, we got the host of the Keeping Strong Style podcast and founder of the Social Suplex Podcast Network, and that's Jeremy Donovan. Jeremy, how's it going? Clint, I'm doing good, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate you coming on the program, and I got to say, let's just kind of break this down like a fraction and look at each bit of announcements that they made, and the first one was their first show back. They could be opening business up again June 15th, no fans in the stands, and they're going to be starting with a together special project with the, with matches they're going to be announced at the beginning of the show. It reminds me a lot of what PWG does all the time once a year with Mystery Vortex. You don't know what's going to happen with this show, but what's the potential for this in your mind? Will this be more of a show with multiple tag team matches because of the fact they'll be having a ton of specialty shows and the New Japan Cup is going to be starting up the next day? How do you see this whole thing being set up with the first show back? Yeah, man. So with this kind of mystery card, it reminds me of uh, New Year's Dash. You know, New Year's Dash, we, we have a mystery card. The card's announced at the beginning of the show. And so I think this will be very similar to New Year's Dash, in, in which we're going to get a lot of multi-man tags. They're going to set up the rivalries for New Japan Cup and then kind of foreshadow some of the things that we'll see at Dominion in July. I'm absolutely looking forward to how that's going to be. It's going to be the first show and no fans in the stands now. Obviously, that's kind of the big talking point with all of us, not just in the sports entertainment world, but the sports world in general. And further down the line, the plan is, if I'm not mistaken, to have, what, 30% attendance for those Dominion shows once this whole once they get done with the Japan Cup? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. That's crazy. It's like 30% attendance, and that's going to be mid-July. Like right now in the world of college football, we're wondering how many fans – we're going to have in the stands for week one and already New Japan's kind of already set up for it. And it, how much of that has to do with the fact of the way the, the government is and the way things are being kind of told for them to kind of tell them, hey, like this is when you can start allowing fans in the stands. Yeah, I definitely think it's part of the way that they have been approaching things. We've seen uh, New Japan, you know, being one of the company, the major companies that hasn't run any shows at all. I mean, we've, we've seen WWE and AEW uh, running these empty arena shows in Florida, 
um, and, and doing the best they can with that. But New Japan has kind of taken the approach to just kind of stay away and come back when it's healthy. And, we, and we've seen that the cases in Japan, uh, the coronavirus cases, have been going down, uh, and things seem to be, you know, kind of somewhat getting back to normal over there, where here in the United States, are, are, there are states where cases are still starting to rise. So I definitely think the government has, has done a great job in Japan uh, with the lockdowns and, and, you know, forcing, you know, that state of emergency and trying to keep people inside. And, you know, a lot of the companies have been following that. And so um, cases are going down. And so it looks like a great time for New Japan to come back and um, get fans back in there pretty soon. I wouldn't be surprised if we see stuff like stardom come back before too long when you just look at the way Japan wrestling has been. I know DDT's done some stuff here and there, but it's definitely been kind of like a quiet area in terms of the world of pro wrestling over in the land of the rising sun. And obviously going to be starting off on June 16th to July 3rd, the new Japan cup going to be getting started. And this one is like a very different because it's traditionally a heavyweight tournament, junior heavyweights. If I'm not mistaken, young lions are going to be part of this too, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, they got uh, Yu Yamura, Yoda Suji. So we got young lions and junior heavyweights. It's going to be a very interesting tournament. It's going to be wild. And I was just kind of looking at it and like following along on the live conference and just a couple popped to mind. I think obviously Gato Okada in the first round on the 17th of July, uh, June, excuse me. That's going to be a lot of fun. Kota Ibushi taking on a technical wizard and Zack Sabre Jr. You've got Tanahashi, Taichi, even Jado taking on a man who's been able to kind of pull off some upsets from time to time in Toru Yano. Who do you, which first-round matchup intrigues you the most? So the matchup I'm really looking forward to the most is, you mentioned it, Kota Ibushi versus Zack Sabre Jr. These two have amazing chemistry and always have great matches together. Plus, I think their style of match works best for uh, empty arena. So all these New Japan Cup matches are going to be empty arena until we get to Dominion. And so, like we've seen with uh, UFC and the two pay-per-views they've done since uh, this whole thing's been going on, you know, the, the action's all focused in the octagon for UFC, and I think that's what it's going to be like for New Japan. And these two guys specifically, they work a very hard-hitting shoot style, you know, Saber with a lot of submissions, Ibushi with a lot of strikes. So I, this is a match that I have circled to be um, the best match in the first round. But some other intriguing matchups, you have um, Tanahashi versus Taichi on June 22nd. So Taichi is a guy that they've been sticking in um, some big programs, guys like Naito and stuff like that. We've seen them slowly kind of elevating Taichi, and that's when you have to circle for an upset, upset alert to see if they're going to kind of continue that push of Taichi and have him beat uh, the ace, Toshi Tanahashi. And, you know, I'm just kind of just looking at this thing right now and just how this whole card looks and we brought up Tanahashi Takahashi all in there who do you think is like the one guy that you're surprised is kind of being left off of the New Japan Cup at least amongst the people the group of people that you maybe would have expected to be in consideration obviously not counting guys like Jericho or Mox who can't be a part of this do the travel ban still going on yeah so I think the, the one surprising name that's missing here that I, I think should be in the country is Kenta now, I know obviously Kenta has spent some time here in the United States when his run in NXT and WWE. Um, so maybe he's still living here in the States and maybe he's still over here. I'm not 100% sure on his status. But uh, Kenta, the name I thought for sure would have been in this tournament. Um, and that's, that's the one that really kind of stands out. Obviously, you know, Jay White, Will Ospreay, Juice Robinson, David Finley, 
um, while the guys in talent uh, due to the travel ban haven't been able to get into into the country yet. And so, yeah, they're definitely out of the tournament. Talk right now with Jeremy Dowden and been host of Keeping It Strong Style and the founder of the Social Suplex Network. And undoubtedly, one of the other things that's coming away from all this is the winner of this tournament will move on to face Naito, not just for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, but also for the Intercontinental Championship. Were you surprised to hear about the fact that both of those belts are going to be defended? Uh, not quite surprised. So the last title defense um, against Kenta at the new beginning was for both titles. And I, I know there's been kind of some back and forth on that. Uh, Naito has made comments saying, you know, he only wants to defend one belt at a time. But so far we've been seeing that uh, he's been forced to defend both titles in his title matches. And there's a lot of talk on like what's going to happen with the IC title. Is it officially going to be a, a double crown championship? Or are, are there plans down the line to... Um, you know, separate the titles. So there's a lot of intrig- intriguing directions that could go with um, Naito and having both belts. So, yeah, it's very interesting that they're continuing to make him defend both belts, even though he seems that he should only be defending one at a time. And I think it'd be interesting to see it be defended one at a time because that's how it's been when you just look at how things have been, especially over here stateside, when you look at WWE and TNA where they've done these angles in the past where they, they're they double champs and they've got to defend them both at their major shows. I'm surprised that, you know, New Japan's going in an entirely different direction and treating these as almost unified to a certain extent without even without so much as saying that now these titles are unified. Right. I think for a babyface we've seen here in the States, if a babyface has double championships, there's an opportunity where you make him defend the belt on both nights against two heels. You can get sympathy on him where... You know, he had a really tough match at the beginning of the night with one heel and scrapes by, and then it's not 100% going into, you know, a later match with another heel and having to come out. And that, that could be a great opportunity to kind of shine a babyface. face. So I'm surprised that they haven't tried that yet with Naito. I know that obviously with the quarantine there, really haven't had that much of a chance to do it. But, um, you know, if Naito retains at Dominion, I think that's something they could try down the line. And then, obviously, it was all about what's going on over the next month or so with New Japan, the Together Special Project, the New Japan Cup, and then Dominion being split up into two nights, a lot like what we've seen with Wrestle Kingdom. Could you see that becoming more of a tradition where we see Dominion be two nights and Wrestle Kingdom be two nights just to make sure that you aren't necessarily, I'd say, burnout? Because it's something that I've kind of noticed a lot more in the last couple of years when you see the major shows, these big shows like a WrestleMania, like a Wrestle Kingdom, where both of those are about like 10, 12 matches long, and it's about four or five hours. If you split them apart, you give it plenty of time to breathe. You're not necessarily just exhausted towards once you get to the main event. Right, yeah, and it's very interesting. Yeah, they're going with the two shows for Dominion here, very similar to what they did with Wrestle Kingdom. Now, I think as far as the future of double shows, I think it really all depends on um, just the drawing ability and, and, and the tickets are selling. So for Wrestle Kingdom, we saw you know night one sold out, and then night two, I believe, it was about 30,000 fans. So not a complete sellout, but still a pretty good um, full house there and made some great revenue, revenue there. Now for Dominion, like we talked about earlier, there's going to be one-third capacity for both uh, night 1, night 2, July 11th, and July 12th. So I think this is not going to be a great indicator on whether or not they're going to do a two-night Dominion. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of demand to fill up that one-third very quickly. 
Um, so I don't think this is the year they can make a decision if they can do two nights of Dominion. I think they would have to wait until they can get a full-capacity building and see the demand and see, all right, maybe we should try a two-night Dominion. Talk right now with Jeremy Donovan, host of the Keeping It Strong Style podcast and also the founder of the Social Suplex Network, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But one thing that was absent in this press conference, at least to me, was the fact that they didn't talk about G1 and best of the Super Juniors. Obviously, the G1 was going to be not long after the Olympics. That was originally planned for the month of August, and you saw G1 get pushed back. Best of the Super Juniors was supposed to be a couple weeks ago. When do you think the announcement will happen about the fate of the G1 Climax and best of the Super Juniors? Yeah, so I think for G1, they'll probably, I'm assuming they'll be at some kind of press conference after night two of Dominion to kind of give us an announcement on that. And I'm sure maybe they'll do the best Super Junior announcement then as well. Uh, we know G1 is um, slated to kick off in the fall. So, you know, luckily, yeah, like you mentioned, they had already planned to move that due to the Olympics supposed to be in Tokyo this summer. So with that late fall start, I would say G1 is untouched. I think the biggest question about G1 is whether or not the Gaijin talent are going to be able to get into the country in time for G1. And if not, are they going to maybe reach out to um, a DET or a NOAA and try to get some more domestic domestic talent into this tournament? Um, so, yeah, I expect there to be some kind of update probably after Dominion. You know, I'm looking at their schedule right now, and you know, Dominion is, is the last thing they have on the website. So I'm sure that they're still trying. Maybe they're going to kind of wait and see kind of how this New Japan Cup run goes and how Dominion goes and see what the plan is going forward from there. And you brought up an interesting point, partnering up with DDT and NOAA and probably a lot of other Japanese promotions. I think that might be the way they need to handle this, especially because of the fact that we brought it up earlier. A lot of your top gaijin talent isn't going to be able to be part of the promotion for a little while. And if you're able, and you're not necessarily going to be trying to be over-reliant on some of these young lions and overexposing them too early. You need to have some really steady hands. And with guys from DDT and also Pro Wrestling Noah, this could wind up being huge for those guys to be on this big of stage. Right. And, and we've seen, especially for best of the Super Juniors, if you look at the history of that tournament, they, in all those past tournaments, they've brought in guys from other promotions, and that made the tournament intriguing. And we've seen guys from you know Dragon Gate and DDT, like Kota Ibushi, a DDT star that kind of came over, Kenny Omega, Ricochet coming from Dragon Gate. So many talents um, they, they were able to find from other promotions in Japan. So I think, too, with you know, the small promotions not being in a very good financial state like New Japan is, thanks to Bushi Road, um, I think it would be kind of great if they could partner with some of these smaller promotions, give their guys a shot, bring them in for Best of Super Juniors, bring them in for G1. You get some new, fresh matchups, and uh, you create some intriguing tournaments. All right, one more before I let you go. Who's your pick to win in the New Japan Cup right here, right now? Man, so that's so hard. I've been looking over the bracket trying to figure out who's going into the finals. And I think the two guys that have the best shot going into the finals are uh, Hiromu Takahashi and Hoshi Tanahashi. So Hiromu, you know, he was supposed to face Naito at the anniversary show that match got canceled. Uh, also due to the pandemic, and he's made it very clear that he still plans on facing Naito, and he wants to challenge for those double titles. And then before the pandemic, they were dropping um, some seeds, some you know, kind of foreshadowing uh, a rivalry between Tanahashi and Naito, and 
Naito wanted to get revenge on Tanahashi from uh, Tanahashi pinning him in Lowell in the Fighting Spirit Unleashed tour that they had in the Northeast last year. So I think those are two guys that it makes a lot of sense for both those guys to get to the finals. And then I think from there, I mean, it could go either way, but I think they're going to go with Tanahashi, uh, the, the ace, you know, the guy when business is down, you always go behind the ace, Tanahashi. So I think Tanahashi versus Naito would make a great main event for Night 2 of Dominion in a great title match. I'd agree as well. And one thing I like to do before I really let the guests go, and that is give them the floor, give them about a minute or so, and that is to kind of let us know what's going on with your podcast and the Social Suplex Network. So why don't you give us a little, give us a little preview of what's coming up with y'all? Yeah, so Social Suplex Podcast Network, you can subscribe to us on the podcast app of your choice. Uh, keeping a strong side, we've dropped every Tuesday, so... We, this week we had on Sir Sam Brown from WrestlingHeadlines.com, and we were breaking down the IWGP Intercontinental Title reigns of Shinsuke Nakamura. Next week we will have on Rich Latta from One Nation Radio. We're going to break down New Japan Cup, give our predictions, and kind of talk about the road to Dominion. And yeah, subscribe to our network. We have a lot of great shows on there. Um, this weekend there will be a new episode of All Things Elite with our host Floyd Johnson Jr., he heads up our our AEW podcast, and they're on the road to Fighter Fest, and then One Nation Radio, kind of our our catch all show here on the network. They're kind of covering everything, keeping you updated. NXT, AEW, uh, Stardom when they're active, and all stuff going on in the wrestling world. So yeah, you subscribe to us, Social Suplex Podcast Network. Lots of great stuff up on our website, socialsuplex.com. I just started a uh, AEW Dynamite preview column on the website that you guys can check out. So. Lots of great stuff going on in the social suplex world right now. Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road. Thank you, Mitch, so much. Thanks again to Jeremy Donovan. You can follow him on Twitter, Jeremy Donovan, and also make sure you check out Keeping It Strong Style. That's at K-I Strong Style. Appreciate him joining the program as well. And I got to say... I watched most of I watched Dynamite and I was pretty much enthralled with everything they were doing. The FTR in ring debut, just really cool. And the fact they drove to the ring and also you had Justin Roberts saying they were driving in from that was just an awesome look at how a good feature into how FTR is going to be going forward. Very similar to the revival in terms of the moveset. You saw the old shatter machine, now the called the Goodnight Express. It looked rough on the Butcher, more because it felt like the size of the Butcher kind of likely affected some of the execution of the move. To me, Spike Piledriver should be their finisher going forward. A really solid post-match angle with FTR, the Bucks, Hangman, Adam Page, Kenny Omega, Jimmy Havoc, and Kip Sabian. All these guys, it was just a really fun angle because it made you kind of intrigued as to how this tag team division is going to look. In the next several weeks, and you've got Dustin Rhodes, QT Marshall going to have a tag team title opportunity. Speaking of which, but I'm interested is the fact Allie is breaking a wedge between QT and Dustin. And Allie, obviously, she is the bunny. Now, does the bunny gimmick return and QT eventually turn heel? I think that's where we're at because Allie's driving that wedge between QT Marshall and Dustin Rhodes, as evidence in the backstage segment. You could tell that they weren't necessarily a fan of her being around that, but it's definitely. Going to be an angle to keep an eye on going forward. 
Then you had a really fun tag team match that further built the Hikaru Shida, Nyla Rose feud and gave Penelope Ford a nice win in a tag team match. Really, not necessarily nothing to really kind of brag about because the match of the night was later on and probably the match of the week in my book. But they had a really cool segment with Darby Allin and Tony Hawk. That was just awesome. The fact they had Tony Hawk guest appear on AEW Dynamite because Darby Allin currently not clear to wrestle, but anyway, he can skateboard and drop in via a ladder. And that was just really wild. <laughs> I couldn't help but to laugh at that entire thing. But it was awesome. Then you had a six-man tag, Best Friends, and Orange Cassidy taking on the Inner Circle, another big angle. And they've progressed a lot of these different angles and storylines. And one of the big things for me was that Orange Cassidy looked fantastic, continues to be one of my favorite AEW stars. The double hurt of Conrada was amazing. And he won the match, which was kind of a surprise, but then you saw why they did it, because why they put Orange Cassidy over. So Jericho in the inner circle could just beat the hell out of Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy got bloodied open, beaten up, and now... What's going to happen with him? And obviously, now you have the best friends and Jericho and Guevara next week going to be squaring off for that number one contendership that the best friends won, which kind of makes sense in terms of why best friends wound up winning those number one contenderships during the pre-show of Double or Nothing. Now they could wind up losing that to a more established team, make the inner circle feud versus the elite, kind of keep moving forward and keep those wheels rolling because we're going to eventually get blood and guts, right? And then you have... Sammy Guevara, Cole Cabana. Cole Cabana loses. It was a fun match. But it continued the storyline of Colt possibly joining the cult that is the Dark Order. It was fun. It was entertaining. And it makes you it made you it makes you question whether or not it's going to happen, him joining the Dark Order, maybe down the road. Then the main event was no doubt match of the week for me. Cody versus Mark Quinn was outstanding. It was Amazing Mark Quinn selling ankle, knee injury. He sold it really well. It made you wonder like if he was legitimately hurt, and he kept fighting through it, doing all the dives and the flippy stuff, and he still did it pretty well. So that was really my favorite match of the night, and it showed Cody kind of start to become more and more of like an absolute beast in the ring. So hopefully we see that side of Cody a lot more. In terms of NXT, like I wrote some notes down, but honestly – NXT did not like intrigue me nearly as much because it's largely the night after you see NXT take over in your house, which was amazing, and you start to see the feud develop between Finn Balor going after Keith Lee. You see the Garganos and Yim and Lee, and eventually maybe we get to see more of that down the road, but that's a different conversation. Io Shirai, the new women's champion, but I think what is going to be intriguing for everybody who watched the NXT show last night was the fact that you saw Karrion Cross. He's immediately being pushed for a title opportunity. Now, obviously, the Dexter Loomis match was a lot of fun as well. And the fact they're actually giving the former Samuel Shaw the same kind of gimmick as like a stalker, obsessive gimmick, and he does it really well, I feel like, now versus what he did in TNA, back when it was called TNA, just underwhelming what I saw from him in TNA with that kind of gimmick. But I think with this gimmick and the way he's doing it, the way he's working it, it's not like, oh, yeah, I'm stalking this girl. He's stalking the Undisputed Era. And eventually, he's going to wind up catching one of them down the road. And then you get to see the carrying cross match at possibly the next NXT TakeOver, which I'd be all the way for whenever that's going to be. Because I think carrying cross is going to be one of the top guys in NXT. And at the fact he has somebody like Scarlett Bordeaux, where it's not necessarily like a Sable gimmick, I think this is going to be 
probably one of the biggest angles in the company's history, and we see the WWE kind of strap the rocket onto Karrion Cross, be it in NXT or maybe down the road they pump him up to the main roster. When crowds are there, you know that gimmick is going to get over. And that's going to do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Thank you for listening. Hope you leave a nice review for us. Five stars. If you're in the Tokyo Dome right now, I'd give you a lot of credit for being there, but also give us six stars if you're out there in the Tokyo Dome. More importantly, subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Play Podcast. Just search 103.7 The Game. You better get that, along with all the other great content that we got, like the Louis Prejean Podcast, the Rap Game Podcast, all of our regular shows. We got so many different things that you can listen to, and we'll talk to you next time.